This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me into the gospel according to Mark, chapter number three. Mark chapter number three, and we left off this morning uh, with verse number 20 of Mark chapter number three, and I want us to read in verse number seven, and then uh, we will pick up in verse number 20. The Bible says, but Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. And of course, Mark goes on to list the places from whence the crowd came that day to Jesus. And we find in verse 7 that Jesus withdrew himself, and as we saw this morning, he withdrew himself at a time that many would have questioned and wondered, why, why would you withdraw uh, from the crowd when you are at the height of your approval rating, and to borrow a term from our uh, current times, your approval rating is so high when your following is so great, but yet Jesus withdrew himself. And we saw uh, two main thoughts this morning, and then we'll conclude with Uh, one this evening, but the two main thoughts we saw this morning is that Jesus withdrew from the crowd, and uh, we saw that this crowd that was following him had a superficial and growing fascination with Jesus. They enjoyed seeing and hearing about the miracles. They enjoyed the benefit, perhaps, of uh, getting some free health care or seeing a loved one delivered from a demonic spirit. Uh, But there was no deep abiding faith, and so Jesus withdrew himself uh, from the crowd. And then he withdrew himself, secondly, we saw this morning, to the called. And we read that in beginning in verse number 13, when he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And we find that his call upon their lives involved three things. Number one, they were called to be with him. Number two, they were called that he might send them forth to preach after they had been with him and only after they had been with him and learned of him uh, did he then commission them to go forth and to preach. And when he did, he gave them power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Then the Bible lists for us, uh, beginning in verse number 16, the disciples that he called, Simon, he surnamed Peter, and of course, those of us who have studied the Bible for any length of time know the kind of person that we imagine Peter to be, one who was quick to speak uh, before thinking, he was rash, and uh, he was a natural leader, 
And then, of course, we see James and John. They were fishermen, and Jesus surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. This speaks of their disposition. When you think about thunder, what do you think of thunder? It's loud, right? And these guys, they were loud. We think about possibly that Simon was a hot-tempered fellow, but no doubt James and John were hot-tempered. At one point, they asked the Lord if they should call down heaven from, uh, call down heaven, call down fire from heaven and have the people destroyed because they would not receive their message. And of course, Jesus said, uh, you do not know what spirit you're of. And so sometimes we get that spirit, don't we? <clears throat> and we're ready to call down fire from heaven. And then in verse 18, we have Andrew, that is Peter's brother, and then Philip, and Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, and Matthew, who we know as Levi, and we're introduced to here uh, in this uh, record of Mark. And then Thomas, we know Thomas, uh, the doubter, and then James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, who was also known as a zealot. And uh, it's interesting to note that all of these disciples had different backgrounds and different personalities. You think about Levi, he collected taxes on behalf of the Roman government. And then you think about Simon, who hated the Roman government and plotted to overthrow it, but now is a disciple of Jesus. I can imagine the interesting conversations and the awkward feelings perhaps that existed between Levi or Matthew and Simon the Canaanite because really they were on two opposite ends of the spectrum before they came to Jesus. And then, of course, we see Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And uh, at some point in, in the life of Judas, he, he, he became disenchanted with the message of the cross. He was looking forward to the crown. He was looking forward to uh, the position that that would grant him to follow the new king. But when he realized and recognized that Jesus was not about establishing his throne because his, king, his kingdom is not of this earth, he did not come to establish his throne then. But when he comes again, he will establish his throne. He was coming to the cross, and Judas had no interest in the cross. And he thought maybe he needed to take care of himself and figure out a way to make 30 pieces of silver, which we know that he did. And so we see that Jesus withdrew himself from the crowd, and he withdrew himself to the called. And then we're going to begin reading in verse number 20, and we're going to see that Jesus withdrew himself from the critics. Look in verse number 20, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. In verse 22, The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. 
And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, He, that's Jesus, hath an unclean spirit. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him, and the multitude sat about him. And they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them, which sat about, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so here we're going to find that Jesus is withdrawing himself from his critics. Not that he is escaping from them. Not that you and I will ever escape from them. But here we find how the Lord Jesus dealt with his critics. And we find the sources of those who criticized him. And so we'll see in these verses the criticism of his friends, the criticism of his foes, and the criticism of his family. Three sources of the criticism that we find uh, of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> that criticism came from his friends, his foes, and his family. Criticism was a constant companion of the Lord Jesus and his followers. And if you and I are going to serve the Lord, then you and I will be criticized. How many of you have found that out? Our identification with him, that is, our identification with Jesus exposes us. It opens us up to criticism. Uh, we, we take great risk in, in making the decision that we're going to follow Jesus. And part of that risk is that we're going to be misunderstood. That people are not going to understand our motives. They're, they're not going to understand where it is that we're coming from. We also take risks that they're going to misrepresent those things which we say, maybe twist them, maybe intentionally and maybe not intentionally, but they're going to be twisted. And so when we identify with Jesus, we open up ourselves for criticism. The difference between us and the Lord, of course, is that some of the criticism that we uh, receive, we justly deserve. And it can be very constructive for us. The Lord Jesus, of course, was unjustly criticized. And so when he was criticized, though, we find that he bore the criticism. He bore it. He dealt with it. And so you and I must be willing, if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus, we must be willing to bear criticism. Well, I want us to look at these three things. First of all, we'll see the criticism of his friends in verse number 20. Again, the multitude has come together. <clears throat> and uh, they're pressed 
trying to get to Jesus. The crowd is still there. And uh, they want just enough of Jesus to have their problems dealt with. But not much more than that. That's really all they need. And so his friends, the Bible said, heard of it. The word friends here means those who are nearby. Those who are familiar. Uh, of course, there are many who know us that may be our friends or considered to be our friends who are not among our intimate friends. But nevertheless, here's a group of people who knew Jesus. And the Bible calls them his friends. And they knew enough about him and they cared enough about him to see that he was endangered in some way because here is this great number of people pressing upon him and his disciples. And so the friends heard of it in verse 21. They went out to lay hold on him for they said he is beside himself. Uh, when the Bible speaks of the fact that they said he is beside himself, it means that he is out of his senses. He is losing his mind. And when they saw Jesus dealing with this crowd, when they listened to his teaching, things weren't making sense to them. I want to ask you a question. Has the Lord ever dealt with you and dealt with the things in your life in a way that do not make sense to you? Absolutely. And uh, we wonder, what is God doing? Because it seems to us to make no sense. And this is where his friends were in this hour. They, they thought to themselves, he is beside himself. And then we see the criticism of foes. We would expect the criticism, of course, to come from these uh, foes, the scribes, which came down from Jerusalem. We understand the scribes and the Pharisees were threatened by the Lord Jesus, and we understand that, that they uh, were always looking to find fault with him. So we would expect criticism to come from the foes. We would not expect it necessarily to come from his friends. But nevertheless, it comes. And now it is coming from the foe. Notice in verse 22. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. Now here they are. They are bringing against him an accusation. And so here's the accusation. It is that he has a devil. It is that Jesus is casting out devils by the prince of devils. Look back, if you would, please, in, uh, in this passage uh, to verse number 11. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. So any demon that was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ, once confronted, the Bible says, they fell down before him. If it was a person who was possessed of a devil, they would fall down before Jesus and they would confess that he was the Son of God. And he would straightly charge them that they should not make him known. 
And so we come now to verse 22, and the Pharisees and the scribes have witnessed this. They have witnessed him casting out devils, and so they bring a charge against him, and this is the charge. Jesus is doing this through the power of Beelzebub, which is a, 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 a Philistine name uh, for one of their pagan gods, the Lord of the Flies. And by this time, uh, throughout the history of the people of Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee, uh, this term now is synonymous with the devil. So when they speak about Beelzebub, they're talking about the devil. He's the prince of the devil. He is, he is the primary leader of all the demons of hell. His name is Lucifer. He's Satan. And so when they say he hath Beelzebub, they're saying that Jesus is inspired and working according to the power of Satan. Notice in verse number 30, the Bible said, because they said, that's the scribes and the Pharisees, he, Jesus, hath an unclean spirit. So there's the accusation. He's doing this because the devil is empowering him. What a charge. And then we see the, the answer that he gave. We, we see the accusation, but now we see the answer. Notice in verse 23, And he called unto them, or he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? So he answers with reason. He begins to reason with them. And he asks them a question. Fellas, what you're saying, consider what you're saying, and understand that what you're saying doesn't make any sense. Oftentimes it doesn't matter to critics if their criticism uh, makes any logical sense at all. They're just simply here to discredit the Lord and to discredit anyone who would speak on the Lord's behalf and speak the truth. And so he says, he called them unto him and he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? Think about that, guys. I mean, how is it that the devil he says to them, is going to cast out the devil. And then he presents them with some logic. If a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Make no mistake about it. Satan has a kingdom. Remember when he took Jesus during the temptation? He took him up uh, and he showed him the kingdoms of the world and he offered to them, or to the Lord Jesus rather, he offered to the Lord Jesus the kingdoms of this world. Do you know that Jesus did not reprove him for making that offer? In other words, it was Satan's to offer. The Bible says that Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of this world. And uh, he has a hierarchical uh, structure of demonic forces, and he rules and reigns. But King Jesus is coming again, and he's going to rule and reign and establish that reign on the earth. And so Satan here is a king with a kingdom. And he said, if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. What you're saying doesn't make sense. Then he says in verse 27, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods 
except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. In other words, the way that I am dealing with the devil is I'm the strong man entering into a strong man's house, that's Satan, and I am more powerful than him, and therefore I can, I can cause him to depart and leave these people. I can command these unclean spirits and they cannot stand and I can spoil his house. Jesus is the conqueror. Greater is he that is in the world, uh, in you rather, than he that is in the world. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Lord of hosts, mighty in battle. And so he's reasoning with them. And so he answers with reason. But then he answers with rebuke. Notice in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, here is a stern, stern warning against the scribes and Pharisees. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. This word blasphemy deals with being irreverent toward God. Do you know that blasphemy was the most serious uh, offense that one could commit? Uh, according to the people uh, there in Israel, according to the scribes and the Pharisees, blasphemy against God was the worst sin you could commit. And of course they accused Jesus of blasphemy, did they not? Now he is accusing those who accused him of blasphemy and he is calling them out for their blasphemy. And he says, all blasphemies, wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme, shall be forgiven. Notice verse 29. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Here we're speaking of what is commonly called the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin. And what is the unpardonable sin? It is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now what is the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the person of Christ? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal who Jesus is. We understand that Jesus, uh, as the God-man, became obedient. He took upon himself the form of a servant, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2. And the Lord Jesus did only those things which pleased his Father. He did not perform miracles simply to please himself or to please other people. He did not choose 12 guys that he liked, and that's why he followed them, or he had them follow him, rather. What the Lord Jesus did is he yielded to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that Jesus lived as God intended for man to live? in complete obedience to the Father and complete dependence upon the Holy Ghost. That is the way in which the Lord Jesus lived. And the works that the Lord Jesus Christ did were not uh, inspired in any way by Satan. They were totally inspired by the Holy Ghost. And so what the Pharisees have done is they have accredited Satan with the work of the Holy Spirit. 
they have accused the work of the Holy Spirit, or they have accused the Holy Spirit's work, and accredited that to the devil. And so they have blasphemed against the Holy Ghost. And the Bible tells us that there is no forgiveness for that sin. There's no forgiveness for it. Now remember, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to reveal the person of Christ to us, to reprove us of our sin, and to point us to Jesus. Now Jesus, during his earthly life and ministry, is proclaiming the message of the gospel, and he is backing up the message. He is verifying, he is authenticating the message. And how is he authenticating it? Well, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. They said, who can forgive sins but God only? This man's a blasphemer. He said, wait a minute. Rise, take up your bed and walk. The miracle that he performed verified, authenticated who he was and what he said. And so here's what we need to understand. The blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is a sin against the revelation of who Jesus is. It is a willful sin. It is a sin against knowledge. You see, the Old Testament scriptures that they claimed to know, they verified who Jesus was. The works which he did, which they saw, those works testified of who Jesus was. The words that he spoke and the power of his words, they testified of who Jesus was. Even the demons testified of who Jesus was. I, I want you to make no mistake about it. The Holy Ghost revealed who Jesus was. But they chose willfully to sin against that knowledge. When the Spirit of God was speaking to them, they chose not to listen. They chose to harden their heart and they rejected the truth of God. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why do people go to hell? It's not because of the sin they committed. Because we're all sinners, right? The sin that sends me to hell is when I reject the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit reveals to me the person of the Lord Jesus and I reject that revelation and in my hardness and my obstinance I turn from Him and follow whatever darkness I have, then I have sinned against the Holy Ghost. I have blasphemed the Holy Ghost. And so the scribes and Pharisees reject him. And so there is the criticism of foes. Their accusation, the devil's doing this through him. His answer, that doesn't make sense. And by the way, you guys are sinning against the Holy Ghost and that will not be forgiven you. And then we see the third source of criticism. And that is the criticism of family. The criticism of family. Verse 31, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. 
And the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Now, we find the friends have come in verse 20 and 21, and we imagine that the family and the friends have perhaps come together. And there is concern on the part of his brothers as uh, perhaps concern on Mary's part for the health, the safety, the welfare of the Lord Jesus. We understand that his brothers, at least James and Jude, will believe upon him uh, eventually, but they, they didn't initially. They're not believers, his brothers. We know he had these brothers, and we also know he had at least two sisters. And as far as we know, at this point, none of them had believed upon him, and no one knew, quite like his mother, his true origin. By the way, can you imagine growing up in the same house with Jesus. Can you imagine having Jesus as your brother? I would imagine there was a lot of jealousy there, right? A lot of rivalry. Uh, was Jesus the perfect child? Absolutely he was. How would you like to have that situation? All you rebels know what that would be like, right? I was an only child growing up. I didn't have that problem. <clears throat> had I had a brother or sister, they would have had that problem, but I wouldn't have had that problem. <laughs> and so they're the most familiar with him. And they're concerned about him. And they wonder, like his friends, is he beside himself? And of course, Mary, who knew his true origin, she knew full well where, from whence he came, that he was the Son of God. I don't think that Mary is carried away with their unbelief, but I do imagine that Mary, as a mother, is concerned for her son. And probably at their urging, the urging of the brothers, she is there. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice where they are. Verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. Then notice in verse 32, the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. So we understand that uh, literally, the Lord Jesus is surrounded by the crowd. The disciples are in the crowd, and literally they are without that group. But not only literally are they without, but figuratively they're without. They're outside of that group of followers of Jesus at this point, with the exception, I believe, of his mother. And they said, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And the Lord Jesus Christ takes this opportunity to drive home a lesson to those who were listening. Look at it, if you would, in verse 33. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them, which said about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Now, he is not being disrespectful toward his mother 
or to his brothers. The Lord Jesus Christ is taking this opportunity to teach his followers a lesson. He's speaking of the intimate relationship that exists in the family of God. And he's saying, who are those who are close to me? Those who are in my family. And he looks about them and says, here's my family. Here's my family. And this is instructive not only to his listeners, but also to Mary and to his brothers, because though they were physically related to Jesus, that wasn't the relationship that mattered, was it? What mattered was the spiritual relationship. And that is the relationship that all of them had to come to. And so he said, if you want to be in my family, then you have to believe on me. Notice verse 35, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. What is the will of God? It is for the sinner that he would believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the way to be brought into the family of God, the true family of God, is to come to him by faith, believing. Now there's a few lessons we learn from all of this, and I want to give you those, and then we'll be done. First of all, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? His friends and some of his family thought he was a lunatic. He's beside himself. He's lost his mind. The scribes and the Pharisees, they said he's a liar. He's of the devil. But his family, and what I'm speaking of there is his true family. They said he was Lord. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a lunatic? The world thinks he is. Is he a liar? Many in the world says that he is. Or is he Lord? And by the way, he can't be a liar and be Lord. And he can't be a lunatic and be Lord. So who is he to you? And if he's Lord to you, notice what you'll do in verse 35. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother, my sister, and my mother. Jesus said, many will come unto me and say, Lord, Lord. He'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. They'll say, we, we cast out devils in your name. We, we did lots of works. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, there's that fringe group, you know, that Jesus is Lord as long as he's taking care of their problems. And then he said in another place, he said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I command you? So who is Jesus to us? He's either liar or lunatic or he's Lord. I vote for Lord, don't you? Well, if I vote for Lord and you vote for Lord, that means he's in charge. What's he in charge of? 
my Sunday schedule, one-tenth of my income. Is that all he's in charge of? No, it means he's in charge of everything. Lock, stock, and barrel. Who is your Lord? That's one thing we, we draw from this passage. Here's another. If you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to be criticized. And how you respond to that criticism will determine how far you go with Jesus. Can you imagine the disciples hearing the people say, he's lost his mind. Who wants to be associated with that? We see people saved and get on fire for God. And we see them go after souls or, you know, just really get dedicated. And we look at them sometimes and we say, they're a little bit off. Something going on with them. And the world definitely does that. And sometimes our friends will do that. We expect our foes to do it, don't we? And sometimes even our family will not understand. You're just getting carried away with this stuff. Church on Sunday morning and back again on Sunday night? What's wrong with you? Visitation? Conquer Club? And what, what's the deal? You're just a little too carried away with all this. And here's the thing we understand. We will be criticized. But how will we respond to it? We'll either be discouraged by it, we'll respond to it personally, or we'll learn to give it to Jesus. And if we give it to Jesus, then we've taken it the best place we can, right? Because He bore it and may God help us to bear it so here we see in Mark chapter 3 Jesus withdrew himself from the crowd to the called and from the critics and may God help us not to be critical not to be discouraged by criticism and may God help us to understand who he is in our lives, he's the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.